Good, mo- good morning, and welcome to the First Baptist Church of Locust Lighting Optional Tour. Uh, <laughs> yes, we are in the dark, and no, it was not intentional. But I'm going to invite you to stand and join us as we begin our time together with singing.
to be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I know for some of you, we look a little bit better up here in the dark, but you know, we try to do our best, do the best we can. Uh, I hope you grab your bulletin on your way in to worship this morning. We have a great announcements in here. A couple that I want to bring your attention to is that still out in the vestibule, um, right there near the elevator, is our ministry team sign-up sheet. Um, if you have not signed up for the ministry team that you're wanting to sign up for, please make sure to do that. Um, again, it's still out there for you to sign up for, and you can even indicate which specific ministry you'd like to participate in. But remember, you're signing up for that team that you're looking to serve in in the coming church year. Second announcement, if you haven't noticed already, it's VBS Sunday starting tonight. Um, So we are very excited. We are all geared up and looking forward to what God is going to do in this church through every volunteer and the lives of every kid. Um, If you haven't signed your name to one of our letters of move on the walls uh, we really encourage you to do so to, to really show the kids that you are praying for them. And you are looking to intentionally pray for what God is going to do during this week in their lives. So I encourage you to pray for these kids. Uh, if you haven't uh, been a part of VBS yet, there's still time to show up tonight and be able to be plugged in to help in loving on these kids and, and sharing the love of Jesus with them. And even if you don't be involved with uh, VBS this week, come out on Thursday night in the backyard and we'll have food for you. So that way you can come love on kids and love on their family at our block party at the end of this week. So thank you again for uh, being here and make sure again you grab a bulletin, a lot of announcements in there. Let's pray and we'll get about the rest of our worship. Almighty God. You are so holy, you are so worthy, so deserving of every praise, you are so worthy of all honor, of all glory. There is no one else who could compare to you. There is none who could ever try to stand beside you. You reign alone as our sovereign God, the God of all, the God who sees all, who knows all. The God who is good and is kind. Even in the midst of hardships, you are still good. Even when things don't go right, you remain constant and steadfast in your love. So, Lord, we thank you. And now we just come to this time where we just want to worship you. The only thing that we have on our agenda is to praise your name whether through praying, through singing, or in reading your word. Lord, the only thing we want to do is praise you, because you are so worthy. Even in the midst of anything that we come across, you remain worthy. And so we come to worship you, to give you everything that we have, everything that we are, because you're worthy. So do in this place, Lord, as you would. Be honored and be glorified with everything that is done. We pray for VBS this week, Lord. We pray for every kid who will come through these doors. That their lives would be changed. That they would come to know your love. That they would encounter love so undeniable. Love so indescribable. So great a love that you have for them. Be honored and glorified, Lord. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you've given us, dear Lord. Dear Lord, I uh, just want to pray for uh, VBS this week. Uh, hope everything goes according to plan, dear Lord. Thank you for the volunteers. Uh, uh, just help them. Uh, Bring the message to the children, dear Lord. And, dear Lord, just uh, be with the kids this week. Uh, if uh, hope um, we have a good group this week. Hope we uh, have a good, good, um, good, good group this week and um, good food and everything. Dear Lord, just um, be with them. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come this time just uh, be with uh, be with us as we uh, bring the offering and bless it to your kingdom. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to as we sing together to the one who is the king of our hearts.
You know, the word holy means to be set apart, to be set different. So when we sing of our God being holy, we sing of our God being different than anything and everyone. We sing of Him being completely different than any other God that may be out there. Than any other kind of power that people can trust in. He is completely, wholly different because He is holy. You know, even today, we weren't expecting the lights to be like this. We weren't expecting to have a screen out. None of us were expecting any of what we have right now. But the truth of the matter is, this does not change the fact that God is still holy. And so even in the midst of this, he's holy. And because he is, he is always worthy of every amount of worship we can ever offer. Because he is holy. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number one. And today we are beginning a new series in the book of Philippians, um, simply entitled The Anchored Life. The Anchored Life. Philippians chapter number one, and we will read the first 11 verses together. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that, when, so that you may approve the things which are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's take a moment to pray together. In the stillness of this moment, We can't help but adore your holiness. In the quietness of our hearts, we stand in awe at who you are and what you have done. You have given us your word. You have given us your love and your grace. And in your loving kindness, You have brought us to this place. You have brought us to this time. 
where now you, the holy living God, come to encounter us. Right where we are, in the midst of everything that we've faced, in the midst of good and bad, you have come to encounter us. So, Lord, may we be attentive to this moment. May we be attentive to this time. Give us ears to hear you. Give us eyes to behold even a glimpse of your glory. Give us minds to understand your word. Give us hearts to receive the message that you have placed before us. Give us faith and obedience to respond as you so call us. And above all else, as a holy God, may you be honored and glorified with it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John Doane, a famous poet in the 1500s and 1600s. His literature was well known in London and other European countries. He was well taught and a well-spoken man. At some time, he became a Christian and soon after he became a pastor. Being eloquent with words, his sermons were exquisite in its delivery. However, in the year 1623, he grew gravely ill and near death. However, being mature in his faith and being wise in words, he began to pen another poem, the beginning of which reads like this. No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. What a great analogy that is for the Christian life itself. We need each other. God did not give us the church to be lived in isolation from each other. No man is an island. No man stands on his own. We, we should all be internally connected to each other. And that is where we are as we look at the beginning of this letter to the church in Philippi. In fact, to give a little bit of background, in Acts chapter 16, we have the record of Paul's second missionary journey. He had planned to travel to Bithynia. However, in the Macedonian vision, the Holy Spirit directed him to go to Macedonia, where Philippi was the prominent city. And now, some 10 to 15 years later, Paul is writing back to this church to encourage them to stand firm in their anchored hope, to have an anchored life. In the midst of anything that may come their way, they need to remain anchored. They need to remain secure and steadfast. And now at the beginning of this letter, Paul is reflecting back on his time with the church. He's reflecting back on the relationships that he has built with people at that city. 
And we can see as, as Paul is writing back and, and thinking over his time with the Philippians and this church. That these relationships are necessary for us. That we need each other in our lives. We need to be connected to other believers. Now Paul shows this by, by kind of demonstrating three ways of showing this relationship. Number one, he expresses his thankfulness. That's the first thing Paul does. In fact, in verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. That, that's the first thing he says to this church. Expressing his thankfulness. But notice with me where the thankfulness is directed. Paul does not say, I thank you for what you have done in defense of the gospel. What Paul says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul is thankful to God for the Philippians. Is he grateful for the time he spent with the church and the people he met? Absolutely. But Paul's thankfulness, Paul's gratitude ultimately lies to God. Many of us get this backwards. You see, a lot of times we thank other people for things that God has done. We thank people for something that God has done. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul encourages the church at Ephesus, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. In all things, whether good or bad, we, we are to give thanks, but ultimately to God. He's the one who has done all the work. He's the one who has put everything together. He's the one who directed Paul to Philippi. He's the one who brought the people at Philippi to Paul. He's the one who did all the work. He's the one who receives Paul's thanks. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He expresses his thankfulness for the time that he had with the church. He, he expresses his thankfulness for every single person that he had met. For every convert that encountered Christ at Philippi. For every word that was spoken in the city. For every sermon that was preached. He is thankful. And he is thankful to God. But, but also notice how he expresses this thankfulness. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer. He expresses his thanks in his prayers for this church. And it's not just in his prayers, but in his joyful prayers. His prayer with joy. Now, let's just think about this for a minute. Paul says, I am joyfully praying for you. Joyfully. However, at the time that Paul is writing this, he is in a Roman prison. He is chained to guards 24-7, 365 days out of the year. At any point during this imprisonment, as he is anxiously awaiting to approach the Roman emperor to defend himself 
in his mission work. At any given point that he encounters that emperor, that emperor has every right to take his life away. Being a Roman prisoner. And yet Paul says, I'm joyful. I'm joyfully giving you prayer. In fact, while Paul is in this Roman prison, not only does he write this letter to the Philippians, he also writes to three other churches that he himself planted. And in all three of those other letters, he tells them, I'm praying for you. How backwards does that seem? That, that Paul's life is literally in the hands of the Roman emperor. That at any given second, they can say, Paul is done. Sentenced to death. And yet he still remains joyful and he still prays for every church he has encountered. In his thankfulness to God. Stephen Lawson, a pastor out of Dallas, Texas, he says this. In the midst of our own adversities, we should never lose sight of praying for others. When offering intercessory prayers, we are diverted away from our own problems to the lives of others. This kind of selfless praying is good medicine for our own troubled souls because it takes our gaze off from ourselves and refocuses it upon others. And I would even add, it also puts our gaze on God. When we are thankful for every believer that we have in our lives and and we pray for them, that's how we show our thankfulness, by praying for them. And when we do, we don't continue to worry about everything that's around us. We don't continue to to focus on, on what problems lie ahead. We don't worry about where the next bill will get paid. We don't worry about how we will get from here to there. We don't worry about what's next in our next gaze of life. We don't worry about it. Because we're not focused on us. Now we are focused on praying for others. And we are focused upon praying for them to God. In his relationship with this church, he is so thankful that God would have allowed him to meet these people. In fact... Aside from one instance that I can think of in the letter of Philippians, this is the only epistle where Paul does not give some sort of criticism, some sort of correction, because he is so thankful and joyful for what this church has done in his life. That's that relationship. That's being connected. And we are so thankful for other believers that it keeps us anchored in our hope in Christ. Because of what God has done through other people in our lives. Paul expresses his thankfulness for this church. But he also expresses his trust. What Paul is trusting here is that what God has done in the lives of the Philippians, both personally and corporately, that God will fully complete. In other words, what Paul trusts here is that what God starts, he will always finish. He will never leave anything undone. He will never start something and then walk off. He will never start something and then forget about it. Whatever he starts, he will always 
finish. And in verse 6, Paul says, I am confident of this very thing. And what is it? That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So what is it that God has done in the lives of these Philippians? Well, personally, he has worked in their sanctification. He has worked in their growth in holiness. The truth of the matter is, when God saves us, He does so not to leave us in our sinful state. Because obviously, what we were wasn't working. What we were doing wasn't working. Where we were going, it wasn't going to work either. So God had to do something to fix that. And He saved us not to leave us like that, but to transform us. To recreate us. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. Because what you are is not, will never be good enough. But Paul says what God has started, he will always finish. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes to the church at Rome, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are according to his purpose. Now, now what is this purpose that Paul is talking about? What is this good that God has intended for his people? Paul continues to become conformed to the image of his son. That's that purpose. That's the good that God has in store for you. To become conformed to the image of His Son. And Paul says that everything that you face in life, every trial, every triumph, God takes it and intricately uses it to continue conforming you to the image of His Son. To continue to sanctify you. To continue that growth in grace and that growth in holiness. Remember, the God who started that work in you, He will continue to complete it. This is the whole purpose of salvation. Not to continue to reflect ourselves, not to continue doing what we were doing, but to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in His ways. Paul will say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that if we ever... Reject and rebel against that. Against that purpose of sanctification. Against that purpose of being conformed to the image of Christ. Then we've turned against God himself. Because this is God's work and his will in our lives. And to reject that change, to reject that transformation, is to simply reject God's work. His whole purpose in saving us is to make us into something that we could never be on our own. And so what God has done in saving us, He will continue to work in and through our lives until one day, when we reach the gates of glory, we will see Him, and as John says in 1 John chapter 3, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. He will continue to do it. And he will bring it to be. In fact, Paul says in verse 7, it's, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Because I have you in my heart. 
because you all are partakers of grace with me. Paul is anxiously looking forward to that day when these Philippians reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. When God continues to do such great things in them that whenever Paul looks at these people that he has known for 10 to 15 years now, that he doesn't see them as people, but he sees them as creations. He sees them as the image of God. He sees Christ in them. That's what God does in our personal lives. But Paul also trusts that God will work in them both corporately as well. As a church in whole. What God does in the church, we have to remember, number one, (laughs) this isn't our ministry. This is not our ministry. Ultimately, this building does not belong to any one of us. This pulpit does not belong to a single one of us. This is God's ministry. It's His. It belongs to Him. And God, in His infinite sovereignty, has chosen to use us to carry out His work and His mission. Now remember, what God has started, He will always finish. So in other words, what God has started in First Baptist Locust, whatever it is, whenever it started, whatever He has started... He will finish it. He perfects our our service to Him. We serve Him in His ministry and what He has called us to do. But if that's true, then what is this ministry that we engage in? What is the ministry of God? Well, He only has one. He only has one ministry. And Paul talks about it in the book of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. And working together with him, we also urge you, Not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What is God's ministry? To share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with every person who has the capability of hearing and understanding That message. To save wretched lost sinners. That's the ministry of God. There's only one ministry that he is engaged in and it's that. And now we serve one God for one mission. It doesn't matter how many programs a church may have. It doesn't matter how many teams a church may have. It doesn't matter how many committees a church may have. The church serves for one purpose and one purpose alone. To honor God by sharing the gospel with all people. That's the mission of the church. And if the church serves the true God of the Bible, that is the church's mission. Therefore, we can be confident that this same God who has worked in our lives, who has transformed us 
from wretched sinners and has brought us to be saints in his kingdom. This same God will do in and through his church as he said he would. Just like Paul, our trust has to lie in God. Many people trust in themselves to make themselves more like Christ. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I will do this, and I will do that. But the more we continue to put I, the farther we are from God. And many people put their trust in the people of the church to be transformed. Well, I hate to break it to you, but every single person in this room, including myself, still deals with sin. So no matter how hard we try to put our best effort forth, it will never be good enough on our own. We have to trust in the God who said, I will always finish what I begin. That's where we trust in this God. And we trust in him to the very depths of our being. In fact, in verse number eight, Paul even tells this church, look how much I am longing for you. Look how much I am caring for you to see God work in and through you. As individual people and as a corporate church. Can't you imagine the excitement that Paul would have on his face. If he would ever see the impact of the church at Philippi. If he would have ever got to look back and go back and visit the church at Philippi. Oh the joy that he would have. And what God has done in and through these people. So that leads us to think if we had anyone else who were to walk through these doors, would they be glad in trusting the God who works in this church? Would they be glad to trust in the God who is working in our lives? Because that's where Paul is. He so fully trusts that what God has done in this church, he will truly, fully complete it. He has expressed his thanks for the church. He has expressed his trust for this church. But lastly, Paul also expresses his target. This is the whole point and why Paul has written this letter to the church of Philippi. This is his target. This is his goal. Paul says in verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound Still more and more. That's his goal. That's his goal in writing this letter. And that in their anchored life, as they are anchored to Christ, that their love would still abound more and more. This is agape love. Godly love. Biblical love. But why would Paul say that his his only target right now for this church is their love. What's the point? Because number one, biblical love is humble. Biblical love is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is giving something up for someone else who may or may not even deserve it. That's biblical love. It seeks out the interest of other people. Think for a moment back to the early chapters of the book of Acts. 
The early church demonstrated this love. When any person in that church said, I have a need. I don't have this. There was no question and no hesitation for any person in that church to go out and sell absolutely everything they had just to continue to supply for that one person. There was no question about it. There was no hesitation. They would give up everything for that one. That's agape love. That's humble love. In fact, John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 3, he writes this. We know love by this, that he, talking about Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. In other words, what John is saying, it's not enough just to go up to someone and say, hey, I love you, brother. We can do that to anyone. Lost people can do that to anyone. Go up and say, I love you, brother. I love you. But what is true love? Jesus didn't come to show love by saying, yeah, I love you. John 3.16 doesn't just say, for God just so loved the world. But what did he do? He gave his son. And Jesus, as Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2, was humble. In his love to lay down his life for us. Gave up everything for people who didn't deserve it. Even when it wasn't asked. Even when it wasn't required. Even when people were turning against him. He said, I love you. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God demonstrated his love for us. In that while we were still sinners. Still enemies. Still running away. Still rebelling. Christ died for us. It's not enough just to say I love you. It's not enough just to say kind words. It's not enough just to give a hug or give a handshake. What are you going to do? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. That's why Paul, his target for this church is their love. Because biblical love is humble. Biblical love gives when you can't give. Biblical love seeks the interest of others even if it costs you something. Even if it means you suffer even more. Biblical love still seeks their interest. But biblical love also honors God. And true love. True biblical agape love. God is honored in our obedience. And when we obey, it leads to our reflecting His character, not ours. As Jesus is talking to His disciples, just moments before His arrest, Jesus tells the twelve, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. How is God glorified? You bear much fruit. You obey Him and reflect Him. You prove to be His disciple. That's how Jesus said God is glorified. By our obedience to Him. By honoring Him. If we love God, we'll do what He says. And when we do what He says, we honor and glorify Him. Now what happens when that comes? Jesus said, I'm telling you this so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be made complete. That same joy that Paul talked about while he's imprisoned in Rome. The target and the goal of every Christian life, of every believer who will ever grace this planet, is number one, to love God and to love others. That's the goal of the Christian life. That simple, that easy. To love God and to love others. So having looked at this introduction, having looked at the beginning of this letter to the church at Philippi, now we have to ask, do I have a connected life? Is my life connected? Number one, am I connected to Christ? That's the first connection you have to make. If you're not, well, I've got good news. I know just the way for you to be connected to Him. He has come here this day to be connected to you. He gave His life for you. He showed His love by taking on your penalty, your death, being your sin-bearing substitute. So that you could be connected to him. And all he asks. Is that your faith and your trust. Lie completely in him. All you have to do is give him your life. And he'll do the rest. Are you connected to Christ? But if you are. Connected to Christ. A believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you connected to other believers? If you are, pray for them. Intimately pray for every believer that you know. Give thanks to God for them. If it wasn't for Him, you would have never met them. If it wasn't for Him, you would never have that relationship with them. Ask God to work in their lives. Ask God to do great things in and through them. Ask God to put that biblical love between you guys. To have that intimate love relationship. Are you connected to other believers? If you're not, get plugged in. I can't tell you how many people I know who I enjoy being with. But there is no greater pleasure and no greater honor than to be in the same presence as with another believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's something different about that kind of relationship that stands apart from anything else. If you're not, get plugged in. I can tell you many people in this room who would love to be connected to you. 
in order for us to truly have this anchored life, to be anchored in the midst of storms, to be anchored in the midst of uncertainties, we need each other. Remember, no man is an island. No Christian is an island. And in just a moment, we're going to have a time to respond to this. This altar will be open. I'll be down front if anyone needs me to pray with them. My prayer is that if your life is not connected to Christ, to other believers, come get connected today. There's no greater opportunity. There's no other greater time than right now to get connected. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you found it enough to be connected to me. I thank you that even when you didn't have to, even when you could have said no and turned away, you still in turn became connected to me. You gave your life to be connected to me. An unworthy, undeserving sinner. Thank you, Lord, for that connection. And I thank you for every believer in this room that you have so graciously allowed me to be connected to. Lord, I thank you that you have given me such a great church family. A church family that loves. A church family that honors. A church family that cares. A church family that seeks your glory. Lord, I pray for this person who may be here today and is not connected to you. I pray that as your Holy Spirit moves upon them, that they come to become connected to you. That they come to know you intimately and begin that relationship with you. I pray for that one who has been a believer has even been a part of this church body, but is somehow not connected to other believers. I pray that you will guide them, show them these others who would love to be connected to them. You have given us your church. You have given us your people. You have given us your body. So that when the storms of life come, when darkness surrounds us, when uncertainties lie ahead and chaos ensues, we can still remain anchored in our hope to you. Help us to become connected today, Lord. Move in this time. Move in this place. Be honored and glorified in all things. So I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we sing?
Thank you again for being here today. I'm going to invite you to be seated for just a second. And Mike, I'm going to invite to come up front. Uh, we have a brief time of church conference. Is there enough room for you to read your notes? I think I'm Um, Jay, 
I think you have some ballots, right? Do you want to go ahead and be handing those out? And then we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But if you want to go ahead and get those out. Um, let's see. I'll call us in the, uh, the business meeting into order. And uh, Pam's not here today, so I'm going to read the minutes. Uh, she's in Paris with her family. So, I mean, you know, what a trade-off there, right? Business meeting, Paris. I'm sure, sure it's a hard choice for um, Let's see. Okay. So this was the conference from May 21st. Uh, Mike Hervey, moderator, called the meeting to order, uh, and it was a called conference, so there was no other, there was no reading of the minutes. Uh, new business, uh, Pastor Tommy on behalf of the finance team, uh, building and grounds team, preschool team, and deacons made a recommendation that we allow creative playscapes of Matthews and Supreme fencing of Charlotte to complete remodeling of our children's playground at a cost of approximately $78,000. Tommy shared that our current playground equipment is in terrible shape and badly needs repairs. The playground sits on a steep slope on one end as well. He pointed out that it is a liability to our church as uh, it is much used. Our preschool has approximately 65 students using it three days a week. The church, um, the church children use it on various days of the week, and the community also enjoys the playground. Five companies have given quotes for commercial-grade equipment, such as a school or municipality might use. The cost of making repairs was also considered. The group chose to propose to the church the quote offered by Creative Playscapes at 68000 This would include labor and materials, including warranty for four pieces of equipment, and one is an elementary sliding and climbing center, elementary swing, preschool sliding and climbing center, and preschool swings. Um, they would work with superior fencing in slight relocating the playground, enlarging the space, and moving it off of the slope at the end. There would be rubber mulch in the broader islands around the equipment, ADA-approved wheelchair ramps, and new fencing. Superior fencing of Charlotte quoted $10,000. Treasurer uh, Karen Little has looked at the financing options with the Pinnacle Bank. Her recommendation is that we choose the six-year loan at $1,340 a 